Greetings and welcome back for mile 35 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It's great to have everyone back with us. We have returned from our summer hiatus. The heat is on in the upstate, as well as here in the basement recording studio. This is going to be a sweaty one, Benji. Yes, sir. How are you, buddy? A little moist, but, you know, hanging in there. Good. Since we last spoke to our audience... It's been a time of change in both of our lives. And by that, I mean in your life, which directly impacts my life. Yes. I have never felt more lonely (laughs) than I do now. I'm sorry that on the 4th of July, I broke 17 minutes and am now in a club that you have yet to join. It is an elite club that I refuse to join because I refuse to run that race. (laughs) Everyone knows I can do it. That is what you were referring to, right? No, it wasn't, but thank you. Oh. We will get to our 4th of July racing experiences momentarily, but first, wedding bells are ringing. Are you taking her last name? She taking yours? Will you both stay in the same? Because you are engaged, my friend. Give the people the details. Uh, yeah, I'm engaged as of... To be married. To engaged, be married. To be married. Yes. Uh-huh. On July 7th. 7 seven. Seven. Yes. Was that planned? Wait, let me double check. I'm not sure the day I got Oh, uh, we're already engaged. forgetting anniversaries. What day was the 4th? It was a Thursday. So, 5th, 6th. Yeah, it was the 7th. 7-7. Seven, seven. I'm good at stuff. Maggie, don't hate me. I remembered. Yep. Magical. The question that has been making the rounds is, will his commitment to this relationship <laughs> exceed his commitment to running? Mr. I get out once every couple weeks. You did squeak under the 17-minute barrier at the red, white, and blue shoes. You still have it. Coming off, I believe, one workout, which you aborted, I remember, in the woods for a bathroom break. That so that was workout one of two. Oh. Because remember the second workout we ran together the week before. We did. I actually hung with you a little bit. You did. We had some good training there. I sharpened you, which we will be talking about shortly for your race. So Tell the people what it was like out at Furman yeah, for the 4th of July run. It was pretty awesome weather for being an 8 o'clock race in July. Nice sunny day. A group of us who meet for those Wednesday night group runs at run-in all wanted to break 17. We decided beforehand we were going to kind of start together and keep each other accountable because in a race that big, it's easy to get sucked out too fast. Beautiful. So they were really bullying me on the start line because everyone knew I'd be the one to shoot out too fast. (laughs) So I like jumped behind them and I was like screaming and yelling at people just to have fun. We get through the first half mile and we're running like 18 minute pace. (laughs) You kept it under control. Yeah. And Alex, one of the guys is like, guys, we're too slow. And then I started taking off sprinting and... Both of the guys, Haygood and Alex, ended up beating me. <laughs> yeah, I I hear it was quite a duel in the final 800, you and Haygood kicking it down the stretch. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, we finished in the same second. I like to hold this peace of mind knowing that I had a gear left. I was just too timid to use it. Yeah. Um, so, Haygood, if you're listening, I let you have that, bro. So that's your one win to my, like, 1,000 over you. Ooh. Hey now. Yeah, I uh, just wanted to get under 17, and 16.59 fits the bill, so. And Alex ran a great race. He ended yeah. up beating we you guys like 20-something place at a mile and a half, and he ended up fourth. Yeah, worked his way up. Well yeah. done to our boy Alex. 
another of our guys, James, got the victory in 1426. So good performance for him. I had an interesting, (laughs) to say the least, Fourth of July. I did not get engaged. There was some conversation. Might that be happening? That was all. (laughs) (laughs) That was all rumor. Uh, Yeah, that's gonna happen. I was at the Firecracker Five Miler, and it was everything the name would suggest. Except. And more, because it was not, in fact, five miles. Met up with good pal, friend of the show, our guy Max, who I guaranteed would win going in. He didn't actually win. Turned the tables on that young man, put him in his place a little bit. Take your medicine, Hoffman. We went out. Good pace. Liked where I was to start. Max was out in the front with another guy, found out later they were chatting a little bit, who runs at Pepperdine University in California. And then I was behind them running with a small college runner from Cedarville in Ohio. Interesting he was from Pepperdine since Max yeah. runs for Salterdine. That, that was bad. <laughs> Thank it you. It was really bad. Um, we're spicing it up this episode. Clearly, too much. So... They had the first group. I was in this kind of second group. I had moved up, started out with a couple guys who were thinking more about like six-minute pace. So came through in like 540 on the first mile, felt really good. It was a little bit uphill, and I thought, you know what? This just might be my day. Dew points were high, always a nemesis of mine, but I felt under control. We go into the second mile, which I knew would have a little bit more uphill to it. And the second mile, I would describe as incredibly long. Hmm. I never saw a mile two marker. And I thought, ah, you know what? No big deal. They probably just forgot about it. I'm just following the leaders. They look good. Just keep them in distance. I start looking at my watch. And I try not to do that much during a race, but I just happen to check in and I look and I see I'm close to two and a half miles into the race, according to my GPS, but I never trust that in a race. Right. Never go by that. But at that moment, I started to think, and that is a dangerous moment. I start doing some mental math. Quick maths. Yes. Thank you. And as I worked my way through these mental gymnastics, I start realizing that if we're two and a half out... And we have to go two and a half back to the start. The finish line was in downtown. We started at a school. It was like over a mile to the finish line that we'd have to go past from the school. Oh, wow. So I'm doing these numbers and I'm thinking, this is going to be six miles. This, This doesn't make sense. And at that moment, just as that struck me, a, a police, a, a county sheriff, SUV, thanks to the good people of Licking County, comes flying by with his lights on and turns around up in a driveway up in front of the leaders and just yells out like, hey, you guys ran too far. You're supposed to turn way back there. I had no clue. I never saw anyone getting us to turn around. There's no cones. Apparently there was a police officer there, but he had been distracted for some oh, reason. Yeah. Probably somebody in the back of the pack paid him off. Yeah. A bunch of guys followed us. And it, what happened was everybody went a little, like the first like 50 people at least went extra. It was just oh, the farther man. back you were, the less extra miles you ran. That's a long time to not pay attention. Yes, and thank you. Well, 
to be fair, the new season of Stranger Things had come out that day. So he may have been watching Netflix on his phone. Did it come out that day? It did. Yeah. I don't I don't watch, but I was more focused on the Firecracker 5 slash Firecracker. I think it ended up 5.9. Oh, so geez. I tried to, at that point, you're dejected. I get turned around. I'm at the base of a hill in this valley, realizing I got to go back uphill. And I thought, you know what? I'll try to run at least moderately hard for five miles, get a good workout out of this, get a time at least. Of course, then you're weaving through all the people, like the walkers, everybody who was actually smart enough to turn at the right spot. They're all out ahead of me. So I went kind of hard through five and then just gathered back with, with Max and and Pepperdine. I can't remember his name right now, so we're calling him Pepperdine. And we jogged in the last about mile together, I guess kind of a, a cool down of sorts. And I think I embarrassed my father who was there for the race. He probably expected more out of me. But it was funny. There were some high school kids who were waiting at the end from a local school. They actually won the trophies because I guess they were the ones who turned in the right spot and won the race. And they felt so bad they were giving us their trophies at the end, which was was very nice of them. But I don't know that a grown man necessarily needs the trophy of a guy running from the what would have maybe been a third place finish at the 4th of July 5.9 miler but it was a nice gesture a nice day was had had a long warm-up long cool down so made it a big mileage day and you know makes for a good story after all I don't know whether I am going back next year for redemption or if I'm just so flustered that I'll never return a little salty but knowing me I feel like redemption's in order we'll see I definitely was on PR pace, whatever that's worth. Not that that's a distance I run very often. Now, you ran a distance that we want to dive into more this week because we've gotten some questions, gotten some emails here, questions from some folks I coach, some friends we run with, about 5K training. So our episode tonight is all about answering your 5K training questions. And if anything new pops up from the questions that we try to answer tonight, please send us what you have, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear more from you. So we're going to dive into a handful of these and try to unpackage them a little bit more. And since we just talked about racing, how about we start it with a couple of the questions that were race day related? You good with that? Yeah. And then we'll get into actual training pieces. Okay. First question we got was, how should I warm up? That is a great, very important, and sometimes overlooked question. For sure. We got into this a little bit last year in mile nine when we talked about some common mistakes we make in our training so if you want more on warming up please feel free to listen back to that i would first answer that question of how should i warm up with another question what is your goal amen agreed agreed okay so i'm assuming based on where we got the question that this is someone who is competitive so we'll get into that more As a caveat, though, I'll say, if you're listening as, say, a couch to 5K runner, I think maybe your warm-up is like the first mile of your race to some degree. Mm -hmm. Getting loose, getting ready to go. It's a continuation. 
Yeah, it's it's just building into it. I think that you're going into the race if you're a novice and it's the first time you just want to complete the distance. Don't show up at five till the gun's gonna go off. Or in the case of my five miler, the gun didn't work and he just yelled go. And then nice. we got like fifteen seconds in, and then I heard the gun go off behind me. He fired it again. Oh wow. There's some foreshadowing of yes, it, very much so. So don't just roll out of the car, wake up right beforehand. Get up, get yourself ready, go through your routine, but don't put too much pressure on a long warm-up because you might you might be wasting energy that you need just to complete the race. Let's go to the assumption that you're a more competitive runner now. What are your first thoughts, Benji? Well, I think it's different for everybody, and I think it can even differ depending on your particular skill set. Mm, yes. Um, so for somebody like myself, I have a lot of natural speed. Mm-hmm. So where someone may need a little bit more strides than other people to feel very snappy, mm-hmm. that comes very natural to me. So my warm-up tends to be longer, easy aerobic running with some tempo pace stuff mixed into that. Okay. Um, just so sustaining this longer, harder pace isn't a shock to my system. Because I can shoot off the line faster than anybody. That's not an issue for me. But me getting in over my head the first mile and freaking out that I went out too fast or my body wasn't ready for this pace so long yeah, tends to be a problem that I've ran into in the past. So what this would look like for me personally is I'll have a 20-minute portion about 40 minutes out from the gun time. Okay, so... 7 o'clock a.m. race at about 6.20. Yep. I head out, and I run 10 minutes really easy. Okay. Then for six minutes, I'll do a minute tempo pace, a minute easy, a minute at tempo pace, a minute easy, a minute at tempo pace, a minute easy, and then I jog the rest. For you, comparing 5K pace to what tempo pace looks like, could you give the listeners, because... There's a range there. It's most people understand tempo running is slower than 5K running. It's done probably slower than 10K running, but it's somewhere in this 10 to 15K to half marathon type pace, depending on your ability level. What's the difference? How much slower than 5K pace are you running? Yeah. So uh, around the time I would have been doing this regularly, so my 5K pace would have been right around five minutes a mile. Okay. Um, so these tempo portions would be 520 to 530 pace. Okay. Uh, I'm moving quick, but I'm not really straining. Yep. It just opens things up and gets me breathing a little heavier than just running. And you're doing it for one minute at a time and then just going back to easy. Right. Okay. After that, what are you doing next? Yeah, I'm headed straight to the bathroom. Okay. Taking care of business, pop out of there. Um, and then I go through a series of dynamic drills. Yep. Um, some high knees, some butt kicks, A skips, B skips, leg swings, all sort of stuff to activate my legs. Um, a big issue with me is my posterior chain. I have oh, a, trust me, I'm aware. I have a really weak butt and hamstrings. Um, so getting these areas warmed up and feeling good is crucial for me in a race. Um, So after those drills, I typically get changed into what I'm going to race in, change my shoes, head over to the line with probably five to ten minutes left, do a few strides, but honestly, I'm cracking jokes most of the time, trying to keep it light. And why are you doing that? Uh, For me, it's a mental trick. 
I tend to psych myself out if I view a race as important or if like my self-worth is in this result. So I have to remember why I'm even there. Yeah. That's to be a part of a community, to have fun, to enhance my life, I guess. Cool. I'm going to go at it with a similar premise, but a... (laughs) My elbow just exploded if you heard that. But from... A different direction. We've mentioned this before. One thing that I bring to the table in a warm-up that was new to you is really breaking it into two warm-ups. Mm-hmm. I am a very different style of runner than you. And I also think most of the people who listen probably are as well. Agreed. And so for me i'm going to extend that warm-up probably a little more i'm going to start a little earlier than you did maybe 10 15 minutes earlier than what you said i'm going to go out for some very very easy jogging starting really at just kind of a shuffle and then just getting to my kind of easy day pace how long that lasts to me it depends on your training and your experience level it probably lasts longer for me than it should for most but I would always want it to be at least a good 10 minutes for me, but I'm probably doing more like closer to two miles is more comfortable for me. I know that's a lot for a 5K for just a first warm-up for some people, but for me, that's effective. Then I'm coming back, and again, I've kind of progressed through that, gotten a little quicker, regardless of the length of time you're doing it for, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's going to progress and get naturally get a little faster as you get the blood flowing. Start moving a little bit. That's when I'll come back. I will also do my dynamic drills at that point. I like to move from smaller to larger ranges of motion. So things that look more like walking at first towards things that look more like running Mm -hmm. in my drills. That point for me is typically, uh, we're assuming road race here. That's a point where I tend to go to the shoe change. And then I'm going to bring in a second warm-up. So I've gone easy. I've done some dynamics. And this is where I will also pull in up-tempo running, just like you mentioned. I think we do it with a similar premise, again, just constructed differently in that I will tend to do maybe it's two minutes. I think about this as a longer stride. People are used to, to doing a stride before. It's a longer stride out and it's more under control. I don't think about pace in terms of time too much on it. It's really more feel. Mm -hmm. It's somewhere probably in the range of half marathon effort. I'll do two minutes out, or one out, one back. And then I may jog a little bit, may walk a little bit, but I'll probably get another two minutes. I may do as many as three by two or two by three minutes. We're getting to about the same point of total amount of work there they'll probably pick up a little bit and then to me after that that's when the last minute finishing touches go on if you notice something is off then we might try to deal with it there right i am not going to sit and static stretch now in the last few minutes on the line maybe i need a few extra leg swings something that you mentioned so that that's the stuff i want to do where my heart rate is elevated as you said when i get to the line And I am not shocked, my system is not shocked by taking off from the line. 
you generally have probably five, six, seven seconds where you can get out really hard, but you can make a huge mistake with one, going out really, really, really fast, or two, going out hard and just not having your body prepared for it. Absolutely. All right? If to simplify this, our body likes a nice balance of base versus acidity. And when we swing that pendulum too much towards acidity, thinking about blood lactate levels, that dump into the system can be a real shock if you're not ready for it. When you spike that stuff, that's when you tend to get that feeling like, uh-oh, I'm not going to be able to hold on. I actually think that's a nice transition to a second race-based question, actually. So let's go to this one that we got, pacing. How do I get out? What's the first mile? What should my splits look like? There's so, a lot of variables to consider with that question. Absolutely. And again, it's individual. Yes. But I will say this. If I was coaching you, Ben, and I wanted to be at one point in a 5K race where I thought you might make the biggest mistake to get a split on you, probably be about the 400-meter mark. Right. Because at that point, if you've made a mistake, it's like the last chance to fix it. It gets really serious after that. Yes. Because if you keep making that mistake... How many high school or college races have you been to? Or think about it this way for the person who's just out doing a road race, the little kid who's at the front on the start line at the road race who gets out really hard, that by the 800-meter mark, it's cooked. There's no shot. You see inexperienced high schoolers in a cross-country 5K or a two-mile making this disastrous mistake, and by a half-mile in, it's too late. You're smoked. So I would think... As just basic reminders, even to negative splits tend to produce the fastest times. If your goal is 1837, that's a really specific number because I believe that's six minute splits for a 5K, right. right? Six minutes per mile. If you're somewhere around six minutes, you're probably in a good spot. We find world records virtually all being set historically in these distance races with negative splitting. So for the sake of argument, we say 1837 is the world record. 610, 6, 550, something like that. Probably a somewhat realistic way to get there. Right. right? But I do think you have to get out close to your race pace. Hmm. You can't leave too much on the course. If you really want to put yourself in position to run the best race possible... Let's take the example from Red, White, and Blue Shoes there of what you ran, you and Haygood ran, and then Alex ends up beating you by like 30 seconds, right? Right. But we both know that's not the fastest he could run a 5K. It was done as a progression workout. Mm -hmm. He cut a lot of time in that last mile. If he was going to put himself in position for a personal best that day... He would have gone out 30 seconds fast. Yeah, he had to get out faster because you just leave time on the course. You have these maximals that you can hit of I'm only so fast for a mile after I've already run two. I'm putting myself in position where I'm putting a ceiling on how fast I can run. I'd also go flip though. It's much worse. That's a ceiling, but the basement is much worse when you get out too hard. 
Yes. Right, it's a whole lot easier to recover from a slightly slow mile than way too fast. This is the Josh Riley factor. I was discussing with our friend Josh Riley, arguably the greatest distance runner ever to come out of Spartanburg. With the motto, stay a step ahead. Yeah, that's right. He, he said his, his 5K pacing advice is put as much in the bank early as you can. Oh, no. So the exact opposite. It was somewhat sarcastic. I uh, hope so. But hey. When you're the mutt-struck two-mile champion with you and your pup, you got to take that advice. For sure. Just to go along with that pacing idea, I think at the mile marker, there's two perspectives you can have realistically. One is, oh, crap, I went out too fast and I have two miles to go. Mm-hmm. Or, all right, I only have two miles to go. I got to go. I got to go. And I think you have to be mentally prepared from your training and mentally strong enough that regardless of what the number says compared to what you think it should say, you have that second approach. Yes. You have to convince yourself of, I have been in harder places in a workout. Yes, even if you get out too fast. That's okay. Maybe this is my day. Maybe I can come back and run faster. You have to start thinking, I feel great. I can, Even if you don't, mm-hmm. because you're going to shut it down regardless. So... While we would lean toward the get out even or close strong approach over the what I like to call the Riley factor, I do think that if you are, say, 3% or less faster than your goal pace in the first mile, it's not too big of a hole to dig out of. I think that's okay. We all have a natural tendency and you have to fight it in mile two towards mentally fading yes but getting out just a touch fast in one with enough strength to come back in three can make up for that so when i say three percent faster that's to to do the math with you if you're on six minute pace 60 seconds times six i would work it as i've run 360 seconds three percent of 360 seconds is like 10-ish seconds or so. If I'm 10 fast, I can probably come back from it. If I'm 35 fast, uh, yeah, 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 mommy, You're going to look mommy. like a sully steamer with a K to go. You are. It's gonna. You have been steamed, my friend. It's going to get ugly. Other thoughts you have on pacing? It's important to know going into a race, especially on the roads or a cross-country race, what the course is like. Oh, uh, if you start with a slight uphill or a downhill, like the number you see at mile one is going to be way different than your perceived level of effort. Indeed. And you need to be prepared to know how to respond to that and kind of accept what it says rather than freak out and try to change it because you're already there. It's not changing. Great advice. We're actually going to tuck up. We're not, not going to tuck anything. <laughs> We're actually going to touch on that more with training advice too knowing what kind of course you're getting into because if you're doing this on a track piece of cake but if this is cross country or this is a hilly road race that's incredibly significant i would say to that what should my splits look like how do i get out i this is perhaps the best and worst advice i can give anyone i don't care feel and effort are what matters And you have to practice those in training for them to be effective tools in racing because you have to know what feels like 
okay, I've pushed it to the edge. I can hold this for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 more minutes and adjust accordingly. I know that if I'm going uphill or going downhill, the time's going to change. But is my effort appropriate? Am I in 5K effort zone? Am I in 5K rhythm as much as possible? And also, don't be afraid to force yourself to surge, especially in the middle mile or as you get later. Just give yourself a little timer in your head that says, all right, let's go for 30 right now. Let's go for 60. It is the motto that I use so often with my athletes. I can do anything for 60 seconds. I can do anything for 90, two minutes. Let's lock into that and see how I feel out of it. And I think we discussed this when I was running in college about just throwing in a random surge because sometimes your body, I think Jack Daniels actually had the same point. Mm -hmm. Like you're so used to this one constant pain that just by switching it up, it's a whole refresh on your mental state. That is so true. Even if you think you don't have a surge in you, throwing one in for even 15 seconds, 10 seconds, might be the switch that you flip that gets you going and out of a little funk. Mm -hmm. Let's turn to the training questions. All right. This is the fun stuff to me. Yeah. Right? So we'll start here. What are your favorite 5K workouts? Goodness. Oh, my. There's a lot happening there. Yeah. I'll preface this with, are we thinking about general or pace-specific workouts? So we need to delineate there. And to your point, Ben, know your course. Is this cross-country? Is it road racing? Is it on the track? Because to me, the favorite 5K workout might shift a little bit. Definitely. Depending on what my my favorite 5K road race looks like. If there's one I run... I have a turkey trot every year that I absolutely love, and I know what the course looks like and where the challenges are. Adjust your workout accordingly. You want to take this first? Do you want me to dive in? There's just a whole bunch happening here. Yeah. Um, so it's important when you're training for a 5K and like deciding workouts is to know like the general breakdown of a 5K, what percent is aerobic and what percent is anaerobic. Where would you put those percentages? Oh, we're looking at like 90 to 95% aerobic in a it 5K. It may even be more. Yeah. Uh, it I, depends what literature you look yeah, at. Yeah, but I think 95 is probably a pretty good round estimate. Yeah. Uh, so keeping that in mind, all of you want to be speed demons. Speed work is not the key to getting super fast at a 5k right we're going to come back to that because that's another question that we have so we'll hit that more for you here soon what you just said is so critical it is an aerobic event develop your aerobic system that's the value target what's valuable to you yeah so that being said and 5k training being a spectrum most of your workouts are going to fall on the side of aerobic conditioning so like tempo runs and fart licks and things of that nature that are going to be building this base so in that spectrum of paces you're considering most of that critical work being done at something slower than 5k race pace exactly yeah okay i completely agree yeah one of my personal favorite workouts I've done training for 5Ks is actually one you gave me. Uh Uh-oh. You had me do five by eight-minute tempo Mm -hmm. with 90 seconds rest. And 
it's hard to explain, but a week later, I felt stronger than I ever had. You're welcome. And it might have just been <laughs> a mental shift of knowing I could do 40 minutes worth of tempo running. But I was in a program where we did a lot of 5K-specific pace work. Mm-hmm. But we were racing 5Ks every other week. So what it looked like is we were racing essentially a 5K twice a week every mm-hmm. week because of these workouts mimicking that. And if you are racing that frequently, these workouts need to complement that. So if you're hitting 5K pace in a race... You shouldn't be hitting that pace for all your workouts. You need to be training the spectrums. So a larger tempo run or aerobic workout, and then maybe a short speed day where you work on like pure speed stuff or hills or strength work. You need to kind of tick all the boxes. You're not going to get better running the six minute 1837 pace by running 90 second quarters every week Mm -hmm. because you're not going to be strong enough. The pace is still going to feel fast to you. So you've got to kind of train the spectrum. A lot of good stuff you touched on there. One is (laughs) the (laughs) breathe, buddy. One is the admission that that workout I gave you might have been good just because it was different. Yes. And doing what you haven't worked on may be the most valuable thing if you've been solely targeting one function of your training. Next, your spectrum. I I think most of the work to me falls into probably 3K pace at the fastest Mm. down to slightly slower than 10K pace. So maybe it's like half marathon pace, depending on your level of ability. That in there is the zone I'm doing most of my work in. And I'll agree with you that most of it is being done at slower than 5K pace. If I had to answer this not knowing what the... the question was specific to i'll say if you wanted a workout to work on 5k pace itself for 5k racing i'll simplify and say if you could build to five by a k at your goal pace with 60 to 90 seconds recovery you can probably go run that pace in an actual racing situation So that might be a favorite that I've used uh, for people I train, a 5 by a K, goal race pace, 60 to 90 seconds recovery for a pace-specific workout. I'm not doing it a ton. I actually might do it more for people training for other distances too Mm -hmm. because it becomes complementary for the miler to work on 5K work, and it might be the kind of fast work for a 10K person. Definitely. The 3K one that I've used a lot that is it's tough but as far as real quality that's pace specific to get you really cooking is using your 3k to 2 mile pace depending on what you've done for a time trial so 3,000 3,200 meter race bread and butter aerobic development workout could be 800s or mile repeats or k's cut it in between at that pace with a, a bigger amount of rest. So let's say that you're um, you're a 12-minute two-miler. So you're running it at six minutes a mile. So we're going to do mile repeats at six minutes, and you're going to have multiple minutes of recovery so that you can bounce back and try to run that again three or four times. That's pretty tough. And I'll just throw one more in there while we're on pace-specific stuff. What I might do actually 
is come out with some 400 repeats that are slightly faster, then do my Ks or about a few miles at 5T pace, then close with a few 400s that are, again, just slightly faster. Because now we're actually replicating racing. You're getting out, you're getting locked into race pace, and you're closing. Now, if we were going to go to more general stuff, I wouldn't pick 5K pace work as what I really love to do. Right. I think about any time of the year you could use, uh, like one I love is uh, Mona Fartlek, the Steve Monaghetti, great Australian runner. And this is really just a form of pace alternation where instead of just resting and recovering in between, you still have to work in between. It's only a 20-minute effort. You're going to warm up, then you'll have 20 minutes of quality work, and by the end you're going to think, wow, I got a lot out of that 20 minutes. That was the hardest way to get to a 20-minute tempo run that I could have thought of. Hmm. It is simply two by 90 seconds on, 90 seconds off, four by 60 on, 60 off, four by 30 on, 30 off, and four by 15 on, 15 off. The key is the offs are not really off. They're floats. They are run more at a steady pace or more like a marathon pace. And the ons are surges. And the 90-second ones, you may start in the half marathon or 10K pace range. And then they get a little quicker as you move down. So by the time you get to 15s, it almost feels like you're running all out. But you're really probably running like 3K pace or mile pace for 15 seconds because you're kind of gassed. Love that. It's just a general workout for the average guy who's out there. Say you're trying to break 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever the number is. You don't have a ton of time to train and you need to get a quality workout in. Tough to beat. With that said, if I had to pick one 5K workout to go to, I'm probably doing some combination of work at between 10 and 15K pace with some hills in it. Nice. All right. So it's close to what you said, maybe add some hills, or maybe it's like mile repeats at that slower pace. Uh, one that we've talked about before that I love is like two by two miles at tempo pace, 10K, 15K, somewhere in there. And at the end, have some hills or in between the sets, put some hills. Uh, so it could be two by two miles with a couple minutes recovery if you're a little slower increase the recovery a little bit so if your 10k 15k pace is more like 8 10 minute pace extend your recovery a little bit make that a three minute recovery instead of two to make sure it's appropriate four times a a hill at the end something like that it's a little bit quicker love it i think you could do that once a week for a nice block of four or six weeks and really get better at 5k racing definitely so I was asked to pick my favorite 5K workout, and I said like seven of them. Yeah. And I don't even run 5Ks. So there you go. Heard those, it here first. Those are some things that I like to, to give the athletes I work with. So let's go back to the speed thing, because yes. we did have a question, what should I do for speed week? Speed week? Speed week. It's like shark week. First of August. <laughs> what should I do for speed work? My response to that is, should you do speed work? Ooh. Okay. You said... A few minutes ago on this very program, the guy who wants to be out there a speed demon hitting super hard quarters all the time, it might not translate to a 5K. And I agree with you. A 5K is not about your kick. Focus on what matters. But I think there are ways we incorporate speed into this 
at certain times of the year and certain types of running? You want to go for it and where you'd put them in? Sure. Um, so there's plenty of different types of speed, and I believe we've touched on this in that mile nine or some other training episode. Anyway, there's lots of different versions of speed work. Anyone who ran high school cross country knows the beloved saying of the coach that hills are speed work and in disguise. It's clearly a beloved quote that you yeah. forgot. Uh, yes, that is, I, I believe, originally attributed to Frank Shorter. But yes, hills is yes. speed work in disguise. With a long pause. Yes, in the middle to really build the tension. <laughs> make sure your audience is listening to you. You're right, that would be episode uh, mile 32. We got back into that stuff okay. again on hill work, short hill sprints for speed. The like eight second hill sprint with really hard effort and then a very long recovery what else and it depends what type of speed work you're doing Uh, you have maintenance speed work which we're not necessarily trying to get faster but we're trying to maintain what we've already developed okay and i feel that doing strides at the beginning or end of any run is a very effective way to do this I think they might be both. They might be both a maintenance and a development exercise. It's a matter of when you pull them. That's right. That's well said. For me, this would be my number one thing of what should I do for speed work. It would be the strides. I would put them at the end of an easy day. They're their own separate thing. I like to put them the day before a workout. I'm working out tomorrow morning. I put them on the end of my easy run today. And again, to refresh, mile 32 has more, but mile-ish pace is about as fast as you need to go here to do these well. And it's really about form. It's really about getting a little more knee lift, a little more power, force into the ground, neuromuscular development. Agree completely. That's the spot to go. What else? And kind of weaving off of that point. Please. um, And all of this depends on where you are as a runner, Mm. um, how they apply to you. But specifically when I was working at Southern Wesleyan University with the athletes I had uh, during their base phase, they were doing a lot of like tempo and strength work. Like we were talking about Mm -hmm. nothing really fast, but there'd be a couple sessions a week. Well, not a couple, there'd be a couple sessions in a block Mm -hmm. that were like hills or something quicker, but we would actually start it with like 20 to 30 meters, like all out just big, powerful movements. Like you said, Building this neuromuscular repertoire, repertoire, neuromuscular repertoire, where they're driving their knees and pumping their arms and they're being more efficient. So later in the season, when there is this gear change and need for acceleration, we've already made this connection in their brain. So they know what to do and they've done it before. I like it. My addition to that would be probably want to roll into those. Yes. Okay. Rather than just from like a from the blocks kind of thing for the average runner. You're putting those probably at the beginning because they're so explosive. You're going to warm up and then go to those. You're not going to do that after you've run 12 miles or after you've done intervals. Yeah, it's very dangerous to do that when your body's fatigued. Yeah, right? It's just risk, injury risk is what we're referring to. And the third thing I would add is I trend more towards the hills, the hill sprints even as... They're really more of a power mechanism. They're not true speed. You can't run all out uphill. Or the strides, because I think they are the safest bet from an injury standpoint. You know, a hill, I had this discussion with one of my athletes this morning. It forces you into good form. You're probably not going to make huge mistakes Mm -hmm. uh, on a hill. So that's where I lean. 
And where you're leaning is definitely more applicable for probably 95% of our listeners. Yes, that's where right. I was working with a very specific group that was running on the track mm-hmm. and also running some shorter distances. Yeah, if you're running 800 meters, uh, racing 800 meters, then that stuff becomes more significant. Right. Right. I would add there might be some sharpening with speed that you incorporate into a peaking phase. So we're going to get into that next. But what these workouts look like to me would be some slightly quicker reps with longer rests. And they could be tacked on at the end of a workout. Mm -hmm. So let's say uh, we're making up runner X who their favorite workout, his favorite workout is uh, 12 by 400 at 90 seconds with two minutes rest. I don't know what this guy's training for, but <laughs> it's a workout. I made it up. We may go instead at this time to 8 by 400 meters at 83 seconds with three minutes. That might be a more appropriate move. As you move towards the end, you're just sharpening. It gets a little quicker. It's not really true speed, but it's a little bit faster than the spectrum of workouts that we discussed quite a bit there. Right. Okay. Sometimes I will, though, use at the end of the season before a race, you know, in that last zone, something like some a few hard 300s with really long rests in between. Yes. And I think there's a place for that, but it's in a sharpening phase. It's not how I would spend most of my training time. Again, focus on what matters in the event. 5,000 meters is aerobic. And something that... I've started to use when working with high school and college runners is something you showed me uh, during my last season of college about it was 11 or 12 days out from my last race. I actually got to do a 1000 meter time trial. Uh, I wasn't really going to get any fitter necessarily in that time, but we could try to tick some boxes that I hadn't and I hadn't done anything really like that fast. There wasn't a whole lot of work that I could absorb in that time that was going to benefit me. Mm-hmm. And uh, through our discussion, we landed on that. And uh, so like a lot of the college athletes specifically who would be running like the 5K at our conference meet would race a mile or an 800 at our meet before. Great points. I'm going to go two places with that real quick. One, and now I'm not, I lied. I'm going to go three places with that real hey, quick. Yo. First, Joe Vigil, legendary coach, Adam State, D2 national titles, just out the wazoo for those guys. Yeah. Uh, one thing they love to do is late season time trials in cross country. Like They're looking for 8K races. That, that was their distance that they're focused on. They would do mile and two mile time trials late in the season and just have guys are PRing because of this great season of training they've put in and you feel fast. I'm going to come back to that point because that's significant. That's going to be my third thing. Second thing is where you start to transition. For me, if I had like a key 5K workout, which I think even just saying that is overstating the value of any one workout, it's long-term consistency that matters. But if you had a big volume aerobic workout, I'd want to get that in at least three or four weeks out from the race to get the total adaptations. I remember a team that I worked with, we would often do a uh, cut down run 
three mile, two mile, one mile. And it was like one of the few markers that we did where we would compare times over the years. It was on the same loop that we used every time. And that three mile segment would be a tempo run. And then the two mile segment would be a little bit faster between like tempo pace and race pace. And in the mile, we wanted to be able to hit race pace or maybe even faster if you felt really, really good. But we're putting that like three and a half, four weeks out from the key race so we can still develop our aerobic system. So point three, feeling good out of a a workout that's fast might be more important than actually running fast. And that leads us to peaking phase. How long should the peaking phase be was the question that I got. So this has a lot of sub-conversations of one, do you mean peaking or do you mean tapering? Let's start there because a lot of people cut back. They taper their mileage. You can make that a tiered system over a few weeks, but I find it really hard to hold a taper for multiple weeks. I can't even hold a taper for multiple weeks for a marathon. I have found the 10-day taper that I like for a key race at a shorter distance, like a 10K, is the same one I like for a marathon. But what you could do is, let's say it's two weeks for you, you might cut the volume by like 20% the first week and 20 more the second week. As an aside, I think at some point this has been discussed here, women who are listening, I tend to like you to taper less. I think the... For example, the testosterone release of hard training is particularly valuable for you because your normal levels of that are lower than most men. I think you have to consider a taper in the context of your volume. If you're not running that much anyway and you're just trying to finish the race, what in the world are you tapering for? And also, if you're running a ton, you don't want to taper too much. So both ends of the spectrum may benefit the least, I guess, potentially from a taper. And I don't even know. There's plenty of debate on how much it really matters to cut back. I think you want to, you said feel. I want to feel fresh. I want to realize that nutrition, sleep, and stress factors might be just as important in peaking as the running that you do while you peak. So if things are going well, why are we dramatically changing them? I would look at what I might call, in my plans I refer to, a competition phase that is a block that's a few weeks or so where we try to get a peak performance with race-specific training, but being mentally ready and physically just feeling like I can get to the line and move quickly, that's the most you can hope for. Your thoughts on peaking? And we brought this up uh, before, but Dan Path, legendary sprint coach, he believes you can taper one of three ways because there's three variables of training that you Mm -hmm. can alter. And there's the intensity, so how hard I'm running, the frequency, how often I'm running, and I just lost the other one. I think you want the... The density. Yes. (laughs) uh, Like how long are my runs going? Mm -hmm. And so personally, I've played around with this a lot, and I've actually changed the density of my runs. Um, So... For example, if I'm running 60 miles a week, but two of those days I'm running twice, I'm still doing that even if my mileage is dropping down to like 45 or 50 miles. 
It's just my runs are shorter. I don't want to change my body's internal clock and throw myself for a whole loop. It'll just like, personally, it'll lead me to being lethargic on the line or feeling almost like I got out of shape because I'm not running as much as I was. Yeah, I generally think running, as far as just number of runs, if we want to go to that variable or total miles, I don't know how we're going to measure this, but if you are running six days a week, we'll go there. I think cutting more than one of those out might be too much. Mm-hmm. The The literature says the higher intensity taper, where you cut back a little bit on the mileage and increase the intensity a little bit, is the most effective based on time trials. But ask yourself, am I racing or am I time trialing? That's important. And remember that you are not a case study from scientific literature. You are out running races. And in practice, what works for you might be might be slightly different than theory. And you are, in reality, a case study of one. And we're trying to find the answer for you. For me, it's just become peaking is a bit overrated. It's more about preparation you're doing through the whole block to be ready to roll when it matters and then just do a few little things to sharpen so i i guess to answer the question (laughs) to try to at least if by peaking you are using the somewhat synonymous tapering term my answer is don't make it too long don't get too many weeks of it if you are referring to more of like a competition phase of a block of your training within your bigger macro cycle it might be four, five, six weeks where the ra- the training gets a little more specific and, and gets sharper. What do you want to add to that, Ben? Um, so you brought up the point of racing or time trialing. Mm-hmm. How would that taper look different if you're racing versus time trialing? And I think it's worth noting to the listeners that sometimes you're in a race, but you're not competing and you are time trialing. Yep. And is that a variable that they need to consider going into a race? I would probably ask a runner to reframe that mindset a bit and realize that we tend to time trial the best. If if you're doing a time trial in a racing situation, you're not just getting out on the track with rabbit pushing the pace or you're alone, but you're actually at a 4th of July 5K or 5.9 miler. Yes. And... I think we would realize if we reframe that and it's not just about you setting a new personal best, but you thought about yourself as actually being in the competition, mm-hmm. I think you'd set a new personal best more frequently. Probably. All right. I think that if you approach it as racing, that's when we tend to run our fastest because one, there is no greater variable than competition and driving us to do better. And two just from a practical perspective, passing people in a race makes you feel really good and getting passed by everyone is kind of a downer, right? Right. With the athletes you work with, is there a point in the race where they go from time trialing to competing or is it a constant, like, because a newer runner, I think if you push competition too much early in the race, like on their mindset, they're going to go out too fast because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. So is there like almost checkpoints where we're like, we're getting to mile one and then we're racing, we're beating people. Boy, that's a great question. I love thinking about it from that perspective. 
my approach is a combination of we're going by feel and effort early and then we're switching to competition, okay. if that makes sense. I don't tend to hammer in for the average 5K runner. Uh, you need to get to the mile at this checkpoint. This is appropriate for you. Right. Because, I again, I feel like we, we limit ourselves more than we actually put ourselves in position to run well. Right. Uh, and you don't want them to doubt themselves if they're having the best day ever and the clock is fast. You're about to break through. You've never felt better. This is your moment, and coach over here is telling you, I don't think you can do it. You're probably 30 <laughs> seconds faster than that. Boy, that's great. That's going to get you ready to roll, right? Yeah. We want to be realistic, but I typically, I get, I, I got a question like this yesterday from an athlete. Can I run this time at this distance by this date? I don't really answer that. Because to me, I'm not going to put a limit on you. Right. We're going to train as well as we can for that. We're going to put you in position to do your best. And then just play your cards and see what happens. Get out at an appropriate effort and feel. You know when it's too much early on. If you've trained right. If And now I'm getting into a personal bias a little bit here of dependency and being a slave to the technology. Mm-hmm. But if you can get away with, from that and know what paces feel like and what's appropriate and where you are, uh, you compared to your edge, your limit, then you're going to be in a spot where, okay, I haven't overdone it by a mile, mile and a half, two miles. Frankly, at a 5K, after the two-mile mark, you probably better start competing if I was going to put a spot on it. But, yeah, it's, it's a balance of, of feel then into competition. And I like how you brought up what a healthy relationship between a coach and athlete looks like that it's trust that he can get you or she can get you to the level you want to be but it's not dependency on where if they don't say i can do something i can't do it sure it's we're we're trying to uh guide someone towards their goals that's that's what you are you're a guide yes that hopefully just gets them in the the, the right direction towards improving as a runner. Last one, I saved my favorite one for last. How long do I need to go for a long run in my 5K training? You know we love talking long runs. Oh, yes. We've had plenty of episodes on this one. <laughs> I would say that, again, this is goal-dependent. Yes. We are answering this assuming you want to be competitive or more competitive run faster times than you have. I value consistent long runs year-round. I think that is a variable that is going to lead you to success. As a distance runner, 5K and up, don't abandon them for too long. You have to recover after a race. But once you master 12 to 14 miles, let's say, you should maintain that consistently. And you'll find that you can become pretty good at a lot of distances if you just have that thing constantly in. 5K and up, you can get really good. Definitely. A rule of thumb I've used here, which is not really a rule at all. It's just something that I find some connectivity between success and this is three times race distance. If I can at least get there, if you want to be moderately good on whatever your scale is at running a 5K... If I can run 15K in training, that'll help me get there. 
And that might just be easy miles at first. That's fine. It's just aerobic growth. It's time on feet. And sometimes that can turn into junk miles, but there is a real value of just being out there and working for longer periods of time. But then we can add quality to it once you get past that phase where you've mastered nine miles and you can run that easily and it feels comfortable. Then we might think about adding the quality type of long runs that, again, this takes us uh, to our marathon training series. Also, mile 32, when we talked about the runs we can't do without. Progression long run, close the last couple miles stronger have a steady state segment in the long run where it's a little more aerobic push. Maybe there's some fartlek change of pace running within the long run. Those things are going to have value once you've mastered the distance. What do you think about how long the long run should be? The main variable I look at is running age. Great. Um, Honestly, I don't really care how fast you are. (laughs) Uh, Sure, that changes it some, but for instance, when I was at Southern Wesleyan working there, we had our top 5K boy this past season was a freshman. Mm. He had been running for six, seven years at this point. Yeah. Uh, he was the fastest by like a minute. His long run was 70 to 80 minutes. Okay. Because it was almost 25% of his weekly volume. Mm. And sure, most people at his level were running 90 to an hour 40. Yeah. But this is an 18-year-old kid who's not used to that. Where I had a senior on the team who was probably two minutes slower than him running 90 minutes because he's used to more volume. Yeah. And it actually helps him out a lot more. Yeah, it's appropriate for his or her developmental stage. Yes. Yeah, you know, just because I said getting to nine miles, three times race distance can be really good. Well, don't go out if you've just started training for a 5k and try to pop nine miles you got to get there exactly at the earlier stages of your running development when say three miles is the farthest you've gone the jumps you need on your long run are smaller mm-hmm. right i think it's it's a harder step to go from three to four miles than it is to go from 13 to 14 yes so be cognizant of that i'm not telling you get to three times race distance this month Just be aware that over the course, prolonged training over multiple months and years, which is how you're going to get better at running 5Ks, it takes time. It is a distance pursuit. You'll slowly grow and get there, and that's when you're going to be able to master the distance. And when adding this distance, don't add intensity at the same time. Right. Be, Be cognizant of the variables of quantity and quality right once again so that you don't do too much and too much too hard that is the recipe for the body breaking down okay we've answered a lot of questions it feels like yeah if you have more of those again please email us secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com this was a fun discussion benjamin yeah from a guy who never runs 5Ks but sure loves talking about training them and coaching for this distance. I think it's a beautiful distance that really pushes you to that red line. And a guy who on the flip side doesn't train but shows up and runs 5Ks. (laughs) You bring us together and we might have some decent thoughts. We will be back next time for mile 36.
of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Until then, enjoy your training. Hopefully you got a target coming up at a 5K distance, or maybe you're looking forward to a fall marathon. We'd love to hear about it. We will see you soon, and have a great week.